welcome to the MetPro Method podcast. I'm your host, Crystal O'Keefe. And today I'm joined by Andrew Sellers and Peter O'Brien. Now, Peter is the CEO of VO2 Master and Andrew is the co-founder of VO2 Master. And today we're going to be discussing all things related to VO2 Max uh, and, and some other offshoots of that. So, Peter and Andrew, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate you guys being here. I feel like VO2 Max and things related to that come up all the time. So I kind of want to start with a little bit about just what VO2 Master is and how it relates to what people might think of as a traditional test for VO2 Max. Sure. Yeah. So essentially VO2 Master is a, is a company Andrew and I started, gosh, nine years ago uh, with the the idea that people need portable, affordable, and simple VO2 testing. Because I think essentially everyone recognizes the value of VO2 max or resting metabolic rate to some capacity, and everyone's seen it on their Garmin watch and whatnot. But, you know, um, most people traditionally haven't had access to that kind of a metric. So we all kind of use it running and training, um, but uh, we might be using more of an estimated number than an actual measure of individual physiology. So what does VO2 master do that is different than like what people are thinking of as a traditional test? Like if you if you like put it into visual for people. Totally. So if if the people out there who have done a traditional VO2 max test on a treadmill or a bike with the big hose, essentially we replace the hose and that big lab cart that went beside it with this little mask. Oh, look at that little guy. An entirely face worn device. It's the same set of sensors you might find in a lab cart, but packaged much better. Um, so it's just a mask, Bluetooth to a phone app, cloud system, and effectively you can run the same test. You can do a VO2 max test and actually measure VO2 max training zones, um, thresholds, or plan out some diet management plans, RMR, BMI, all that sort of thing. Um, in a simple enough way that the instead of this just being restricted to labs in a hospital or a national federation, average people can have access to it. And that, that's essentially where, where Andrew and I came from, right? Andrew uh, had a, a coaching business and he did VO2 testing, but he needed his medical background as an anesthetist to use the equipment properly. And that's, I think, um, you know, that's a bit silly. Everyone needs access to VO2 as a valuable metric. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I have done a couple of different uh, VO2 max tests. I've had a couple of different experiences. And um, I find that it is, first of all, a very difficult test, like I feel because I'm a really slow runner. So man, they start uh, amping up that uh, treadmill speed. And it's it's tough. It's really tough. Um, But I also really enjoy the insight that comes from it. So for people who haven't had a chance to do that kind of test before, can you tell us what is the actual the information there? Yeah, so, so maybe maybe I'll take that one up here. Go for it, Andrew. <laughs> That's okay. So uh, VO2 max testing is is one aspect of collecting VO2 data, and I, I'm not convinced that it's the the best use of our equipment, but it is a use, and so. When you say a VO2 max test, what, what we're talking about is the amount of oxygen that the body is able to consume at maximum intensity. So the typical test, there's a number, there's 
literally dozens of different documented ways of getting to that maximum, but most tests revolve around starting at a relatively slow, comfortable pace, either on a treadmill or on a bike or some way of measuring intensity. You can do it on an air bike or a rowing machine. It doesn't really matter. It depends on what sport you're doing and what you're training for. And then you gradually increase that intensity until the person reaches what they perceive as their maximum, or physiologically, you actually see a plateau in that oxygen consumption. And that's why it feels so hard every time you do it is because they're trying to push you to your highest intensity that you can manage. And so it is a maximum effort test. And the number that comes out is how much oxygen per kilogram, most people have reported as a milliliters per kilogram per minute. And that gives you numbers that you've heard if you've read any men's health magazine or fitness magazines, they'll report those. Some of the highest numbers are from, from famous athletes like Lance Armstrong, um, who notoriously cheated to get there, but had high VO2 max numbers, even as a youth before he began his uh, sort of road down cheating lane. Uh, and then as, as your comparison across different athletes from different fields. So you can, you can, you can actually test um, oxygen consumption on all those different devices, but it's, it's traditionally been hard because of the limitations of the lab carts that were used with the big tubes and hoses and, and blocky things. We can now actually collect data from people moving through a bunch of different sports. So you can put them on, you can put our unit on rock climbers or cross country skiers that are outside in warmer weather. We don't, doesn't do great under super cold weather, but it does really well outside and, um, uh, and collecting data from a bunch of different sports that weren't able to be tested before. So, so that's VO2 max. Okay. Go ahead. The You've other got part more. of it is, is actually collecting the amount of oxygen consumption and how people breathe at all the different levels before they get to maximum. So for you, you were saying that you're not a particularly fast runner. And what we're interested in from a metabolic perspective is what kind of metabolism is she using at lower intensities at the paces she's going to run either in her training or in her races that would actually help guide that performance and guide her training. Mm. So much like measuring calories uh, consumed or calories burned, we're actually looking at the amount of oxygen used to produce that caloric consumption. And that's what metabolism is, is the conversion of fuel to energy. And that's exactly what we're measuring. That's what VO2 master measures at all intensities. And you can do that at rest, which is a resting metabolic rate. So you can put the mask on for, you can do a five minute test or a 10 or a 20 minute test lying in a relaxed position. And you can, test how much metabolism is happening in the body at the resting metabolic rate. And that gives you some indication of what kind of nutritional support you need just to get through life. And if the goal is weight loss, then you can actually use that number to, to balance what's coming in and what's going out. Okay. So for, for people who would like to use something like this as training, as a training guide, how does knowing how much oxygen you consume help you train? Yeah. So the oxygen consumption is directly related to the amount of calories consumed. So you can actually, our device does an internal calculation to measure the amount of energy that's being produced by the body and convert it into a caloric number that'll give you calories per hour on resting metabolic rate. We actually 
push that out over 24 hours and that gives you a number of calories that you burn if you were resting all day and then you can add to that the uh, calories that you burn during your activities and we can give you a better idea of what those calories actually are instead of making a guess that you're burning 500 calories an hour running you might be but you also might be only burning 300 calories per hour or you could be burning 800 calories an hour. Now you have a better understanding of what you need to do to refuel from that training session or to use that training session towards weight loss. Okay. So it's a, it's a background calculation that, that converts oxygen consumption into calorie deficit. Yeah, and, and it's the real fundamental measure of that. If you get a smartwatch and use that to track your calories, well, that smartwatch was actually calibrated with a real VO2 analyzer and they correlated what actually the athlete was doing to wrist motion. So, um, and there can be a 10 or 20% difference between, you know, a, a calculator on Google saying how many calories you burn and the actual number for that individual. So it's really going beyond just what's the, the broad strokes correct way to do things and actually getting that, that individual's physiology recorded. And then say, so if you do a resting metabolic rate test, um, that shows your snapshot today, then say you, you tweak your diet, you change your lifestyle, your metabolism might change. You should retest. Okay. So I have so many questions. How often would a person want to retest, like in an optimal world? That you know, Ooh, that's a good. That, you're now talking about one of my favorite questions. And that, that that is actually the the background that Peter and I both came out of was when we, when Peter came to me as a, as a young athlete. He was a young teenager when I first met him, and he was training with a bunch of cyclists. And our, our whole method of training those athletes was to test them to see where they were at, then to try a training method, see if it worked and then retest them by, and that helps us see if it's working. So the answer to your question is you should retest anytime you think you've made a change. So if you haven't changed what you're doing, then there's no real point in retesting because you shouldn't expect a difference. But if you have changed something, if you change your diet or you change your exercise or you've changed your sleep patterns or you've done something to make, to make a physical difference, then you can retest to see if it actually has made a difference to your metabolism. And for in most cases, it can be four to six weeks. And so if you, if you continue to make changes, so if you make those first changes in six weeks and you retest and there's no difference in your metabolism, then the changes that you've made aren't changing your metabolism. They might be changing your weight. They might be changing your ability to run faster. They might be changing other things, but they're not changing your metabolism. So then you can redirect that pattern if you're changing your diet and you're moving to a, a more plant-based diet or a more protein-heavy diet. You can say, well, it didn't change my metabolism. It makes me feel better. I run better. I, I, everything else is working and I'm losing weight. Great, I'm meeting my goals, but I haven't actually changed my metabolism. If the goal is actually to change metabolism, then test it. Let's see if your resting metabolism is actually increasing, which would be a goal of any weight loss program would be to increase your metabolism. And what, what I found really sort of relieving and, and interesting when I got to know Andrew, I, I came from a background of swimming when I was really young, a competitive swimmer, you know, the, the, and I think in that kind of old school coaching methodology, the swimming coaches might take 50 athletes and give them effectively the same training regime and why is it that one of them goes to the olympics three of them go to nationals the bottom quarter have shoulder injuries like me you know it, it, training needs to be a bit more individualized than than that and you know andrew's method of tests come up with an idea of how training can be improved 
enact that and then actually retest was I, I just thought it was it was brilliant it's you know Andrew using his expertise in coaching and in medicine to to make that happen you know Andrew I, I remember back in the day you maybe speaking to limiters and training plateaus and feel free to correct me because I'll probably get this wrong but I like the idea of you know the, the Wasserman three gears we have uh, lungs heart and the muscles of the legs the mitochondria and you know how does um, the energy system work you get O2 in it goes through the lungs through the heart into the muscles it's burned to make um, energy with with sugars carbs and then it comes back out as co2 we produce co2 that's exhaled so you could also think of it as you know when an athlete gets to their iron man threshold their their second ventilatory threshold or they get to max to failure there's some part of their body limiting them from going faster it might be the heart it might be the lungs it might be the legs if you if your limiter is inability to breathe efficiently while running fast and all of your training makes your heart stronger you might never get faster that's a training plateau Yes. If you can measure that and redirect your training, you might quickly get a lot faster. And, and you know, may, maybe that's the reason some people don't improve over years. Well, Did I've got a lot. Right, Andrew? I have so much to say about that because I can't tell you how many times, myself included, I've talked to people who it's like, I want to get faster, but I do struggle to breathe. And it's like, it's a real, like, it is so hard for me to slow down my breath when I'm running hard. And I know that that is important, but it's hard to do because it's not as easy as, as it, like, some people that comes naturally too. I am not one of those people. <laughs> uh, so now you're, now you're speaking my true love language because <laughs> this is all, this all comes back to breathing, which is again, you were asking before about VO2 max and the value of VO2 master measuring that. But the data from VO2 master actually gives you real time look at how you're breathing. So in order for us to calculate how much oxygen you're consuming, we have to measure how much you're breathing in, how much oxygen is being pulled out of that air that you breathe in versus how much you're breathing out. So our device measures every breath. It measures how big a breath you take and how fast you're breathing. And that combined number is called your ventilation. So your ventilation changes with your intensity. So at resting intensities, you're breathing somewhere between six and 10 breaths a minute and roughly about a half a liter, 500 milliliters per breath. And that calculates somewhere down in the sort of four to six liters per minute area. But that value can increase in well-trained athletes up to 100, 200, even 300 liters per minute. So you have this massive range of ability to be able to shift your respiratory response to exercise. And our device measures that. So you can see it in the app, right live, how fast you're breathing and how deep you're breathing. So now it can actually be changed from a testing tool once you've measured how you're actually breathing and where your limitations are in your breathing and in your different running paces. And you can use it to now look at how you're breathing when you're training. Wow. So it's one of the big values of VO2 testing that is not recorded in the literature. They have these millions of people that have been tested doing VO2 max tests, but very few people have actually looked at how those people breathed and what the different patterns they were breathing long before they get to max, because what happens at your maximum isn't all that interesting. You're at your maximum. You're never going to run like that. You're, you're going to jog and run at much slower paces. And, and what I'm interested in is what, how you're actually getting through that pace. What's your heart doing? What's your respiratory system doing? What are your muscles doing to get you comfortably running at a jogging pace? 
Wow. And so our, our device adds insight into the metabolism at that point and how you're breathing. And that's the, the hidden key that because people haven't had access to a piece of equipment that does it easily, they don't use it. Yeah. But now we have athletes around the world that are actually looking at how they're breathing and, and having those same questions. You're why do I have, why am I breathing so fast? Why am I breathing so shallow? How, how come I can't take a deeper breath? And learning that the respiratory system has a remarkable ability to be trained just like any other system. Huh. We just didn't have a way of measuring it before. Now we have and, a way of. And there's remarkable differences between you know, some people practice yoga breathing at rest, and that's completely different than running full tilt, arm swinging, opposing to legs, engaging the core, and trying to breathe deeply. Um, yeah, it's it's such a different environment use case. Yeah, and I guess um, you really can't like drag a cart with you with that that hose on it. So I can see why that would be tough to do. It's still considered the gold standard, which is baffling. It's still considered the gold standard. It's called the it's called the Douglas bag. The original VO two test was a, a cyclist running with a big air bladder, collecting the air from the runner through a hose into an air, and then analyzing the gas at the end of the run. Huh. That was the original, and that's still considered the gold standard. Well, that's it's, fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so you guys have these ventilary thresholds, which I've never heard anybody talk about. So tell me about the the thresholds one and two. What does that mean? So, um, anybody who's used a heart rate monitor before has has seen that when they're walking, they have a lower with the resting, they have a low heart rate. As they start walking, their heart rate increases and it increases linearly the faster you go. So if you go from four miles per hour to five miles an hour, your heart rate increases 15 beats. When you go from five miles to six miles an hour, it'll go up another 60, 15 beats. So it creates a straight line on a graph. The respiratory system doesn't do that. It tends to go up in steps. So you'll keep a respiratory pattern that feels comfortable for a number of intensities until you reach a level that your body is stimulated to breathe faster. And that stimulus comes from excess carbon dioxide. So the building up of carbon dioxide in the system that comes with metabolism. So as you burn fuels, you create byproducts and the two byproducts that are created from the consumption of sugars and the consumption of fats is water and carbon dioxide. And your body has to get rid of the carbon dioxide because it causes bad things to happen in the body. Your body becomes acidic. And this is what people talk about lactic acidosis and, and things, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> but what happens is to balance that acidity, you're actually, you blow off CO2. And that's why your breathing increases with increased intensity. The more fuel you burn, the more CO2 you have to blow off. And what typically happens is there's very, it's very tightly regulated in the body by chemoreceptors in your brain and in your carotid bodies. What happens is your body holds a, what it feels is a comfortable breathing rate. Then it increases as you hit a threshold. And the first threshold that you reach we, is called is termed VT1. So that's when you're going from a easy resting breathing rate and depth to a slightly higher one. That's the one where people talk about below that level, I can talk comfortably. I can speak in full sentences above that level. I have to take a couple breaths to finish a sentence because I can't really hold a long sustained breath because I'm working too hard. That's VT1. That happens some, it happens to overlap metabolically with the higher end of fat burning. So as you start, as you're running at an intensity that is mostly deriving its energy from fat, you have good control of your breathing. 
When you hit VT1, there's a slight increase in that respiratory pattern, and that really is the top of free fatty acid burning, and you start kicking into burning more sugars. That's VT1, ventilatory threshold one. Okay. As you keep, if you keep increasing your intensity above VT1, you'll again hit a plateau where you're breathing fairly comfortably at that rate and that depth for a number of different intensities until you reach another threshold where things start to feel pretty hard. And this is where you were talking about where you lose control of your breathing. Yeah, I just can't breathe any slower. That's VT2. So it typically jumps from a rate of 25 to 30 to something over 45 or 50 breaths a minute. Now you're breathing almost a breath every second and it feels really hard. You don't feel like talking, you're almost gasping. You've lost control of the regular pattern of breathing and that's considered VT2. And a bunch of things happen at that rate. Not surprisingly, there's a, a number of things that stimulate that change in breathing patterns. One, you have a rapid increase in uh, CO2 and that is because you also have a higher burning of sugars and they produce more CO2. There is a shift in acidity that happens and that's what people term lactic acidosis. So there's an increase in lactate accumulation at that same level. That's VT2. So those two are fairly identifiable from the data, from the ventilation data. Again, not you don't need the VO2 data to see those. You need the ventilation data, the breathing data, the how fast you're breathing and how deep you're breathing. And mm -hmm. everybody will go through those two patterns if you increase their intensity. So if you do a step test like you did when you did a VO2 max test, you would have gone through those two zones before you got to your maximum. And you would have been able to feel it if we'd have if during the test we were talking about how are you feeling with your breathing, like, oh, this actually feels really easy. That's below VT1. This feels sustainable, moderate. That's above VT1, but below VT2. You'll have a, a number of different steps where you're like, yeah, it's getting harder, but I still feel like I'm in good control. I can still talk to you. We're still manageable. We're below a threshold. And then you get above that and you're like, yeah, I couldn't do this for much longer. I, I'm, I'm really having a hard time breathing now. That's above VT2. Yeah. And there's a lot of names for these things. VT1, VT2. There's also, you know, fat max zone, Ironman threshold, um, aerobic threshold, anaerobic threshold, lactate threshold. There's, there's at least five different names for each one of these, but essentially I think the, the, your first threshold is a highly efficient point for the body, usually where the most fats are burning. The second one is is a point of sustainable output. Like the idea of someone who does an Ironman for eight hours would be interested in having the most sustainable and highest performing VT2. And that comes back to, you know, VO2 max for an Ironman athlete really doesn't matter because they're just interested in how much they can sustain for eight hours, not how much they can max out at for four or five minutes. And so to that point, these different thresholds, different values could have uh, differing uh, it, differing indicators for different people. So like if you have a person that's really focused on, I want to lose weight that they might be focused on a different number than somebody who's like, I want to run a marathon and be yeah. the most efficient. VT1 is going to be their goal is going to be their golden ticket. If if their exercise is focused on weight loss, okay. absolutely. It, it will be the most efficient use of them and it will, and will provide them the best intensity that reduces their risk for injury and everything else. Everything higher than that is almost wasted on those people unless they're trying to stimulate a different system to increase their VT1. So they're trying to train something differently just to improve their VT1. And, but and that's, for, for weight loss, VT1 is going to be a, a golden ticket. 
And that's, I think, um, a good descriptor of what kind of report view of two master makes to say like a smartwatch will estimate someone's training zones. If you actually measure your two thresholds, uh, the training zone should align with those. So you know exactly where to train for that fat max zone instead of taking the average that came from a big regression model from the whole population people's zone or um, thresholds do do shift significantly between individuals. Yeah. So just quickly on that, I don't want to get into a deep rabbit hole because I could go way down there. But when it comes to like uh, Apple watches or Garmin's or any of the things that uh, estimate your VO2 max, they are, in fact, just an estimate like you can get you use two different products. You can get wildly different results, correct? Yeah. And, and try taking a, a Garmin watch that says a VO2 max number run in the snow or the sand. Your number will go down that, because it doesn't understand running economy. It can't measure it. That makes total um, but, sense. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, um, you know, saying that those watches are bad or anything. They have great utility, right? They're simple. They're low cost and all that. But the, there's a difference between that sort of measurement and an individualistic measurement, a fundamental measure. Absolutely. It's it's like uh, it's like you use those those scales that show your body fat. They're not 100 percent accurate, but they're showing a trend. So you can still get valuable information out of it. But if you're trying to do if you're trying to train for a marathon or you're trying to train for trying to maximize your ability to to get fat loss, you're not going to get as much out of those numbers as you could by really honing in on the specifics. Um, That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) So having said that, uh, do you guys have any like trends and patterns around the metabolic data that you've, you've gathered over time around weight loss? Yes. Uh, Not as much over time because it hasn't been our, it hasn't been my particular focus on training athletes. Um, We, we have, a growing number of people who are interested in sharing that data with us. So it makes it, so I think in the future, we're going to, there will actually be trends that we can see more regularly. Um, what I have seen and is not surprising is um, athletes who've come to me who think that their weight is actually holding them back from their performance. So uh, I've worked with a lot of um, ultra runners, triathletes, Ironman athletes and things. And some of them are limited by their weight. But a lot of and a lot of people struggle with the fact that the more they exercise, they think they should be losing weight and, and they don't. And one of the fascinating things that we when we first started using uh, resting metabolic rates that to look at what they were burning, they were drastically overestimating how much weight, how much how many calories they were burning at rest. So what happens and and I'm sure your method understands this is that the more you train, the more efficient you become and the less calories you burn at not only during the exercise, but also during the rest. Yes. So people <laughs> making the assumption based on the global population that they were burning 1500 calories a day when they were resting. And we, we've tested ultra runners who are, who, when they weren't running, were burning almost no calories. They were so efficient at living that they were burning 400, 500 calories a day. That's all they were burning when they weren't running. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so it was a, it was shocking to them that they were overestimating their, their calorie burning by a thousand calories a day. We- so if they ate the basic level of food that they thought they were actually going to put on a pound to two pounds a week 
We do see that all the time at MetPro as coaches because we we measure it more by like how their body is responding to the food. So it's like you have all this food measured, right? And it's like, okay, if you eat these things and these amounts, let's see how your body responds to that. And so we can we can tell that when people do an RMR test, it's not always 100% matching because sometimes people will be like, well, but this says if you go to this calculator, this says that I should be based on my height and weight, I should be burning 2000 calories just being alive and it's like yeah but but like you're eating 1300 calories or 1400 calories and you're not losing weight which means that's not true so that, that number's wrong absolutely that number will will be wrong every time on any there's all these discussions about calories in and calories out and i fully agree if you if you actually balance the measurable amount of calories in and calories out, and that is the problem is most people don't have a measure of that. So they have an estimate of it based on their height and weight and age and sex. And, and they are horrible predictors of metabolism. You really need to measure it. And again, what Peter's been able to do with VOC Master is create a device that is easily accessible and easy to use. And you can do it anytime you want. And so again, if you've made a change to your diet and you're like, hey, I, I think this is working, just test it and see if your metabolism actually has changed. And unfortunately, for some of those athletes, the more they exercise, the less they will have, they will require to eat. And it is a backwards, it's a backwards thought. And, and the opposite side of the that scale, right? There's very highly efficient endurance athletes who have essentially their economy is very good. They their their calories per kilometer run per mile biked is is really really low um then you have people who do very little cardio who go to the gym all the time and they might have be very inefficient at say walking up the stairs or doing everyday tasks because they actually weigh a lot more they have so much more muscle mass they might be on the opposite end of the scale where they actually have a high base rate or they have a low efficiency in doing a low efficiency in doing everyday tasks where um you know not not that efficiency in those tasks really matters outside of caloric uh, burn they might also have a bmi that's off the charts and says they're morbidly obese but they're actually very lean and very strong Oh, so I, yeah. I love all the things you guys are saying. I feel like there's so many people, there's so much misinformation out there. It, it's, it's so refreshing to hear the, yes, absolutely agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> it's, it's a funny difference too, hey, between like an endurance athlete that they want to run as efficiently as possible. But if you're just the average person, you go to the gym half an hour and then you want to lose weight, you want to burn the most calories. It's like, what, what's the most inefficient way I can walk up the stairs into work? Yeah. Because I want to burn the most calories. It's a, yeah. It is, it is. And I mean, and on that note, like, again, somebody who's super slow, it's also like to trying to do that, that fat burning, sometimes you have to be like, you have to walk to get that to be in that that place. And that's, that is also really hard, because you're trying to make your body better at running. And so it's very yeah. confusing in the brain to try are, to get better at that. You are, I will promise you, you are not alone in that. And I would say that we've done thousands of tests. And the majority of runners, even competitive runners that we were testing, the majority of them, their best training intensity was a fast walk. Wow. So wow. other than our elite runners or our very competitive age group runners, most people, their, their best intensity for fat burning and for controlled and improving intensities for both breathing and for cardiovascular health was actually fast walking, especially if there's any hills involved at all. So, and they hated it because the recommendations are now based on numbers that were sitting in front of them and said, listen, you can actually not run uphill and stay below VT1. 
So you are going to go above VT1 as soon as that trail or that road goes uphill at all. So if it inclines up, you have to walk. Huh. Okay. And then on flat ground, you could jog and uphill you have. So downhill, you can run. Flat ground, you could jog slowly. Any uphill you walk. And those people made remarkable differences very quickly. And again, but that's based on now we actually have numbers that we're basing those recommendations on. So it's so they actually now use their heart rate monitor or or their watch to actually guide the intensities so that it matches what they were actually measured at metabolically. And then they come, those people come back six weeks and they actually have made a significant difference in their metabolism. And that is so key because you don't know, if you don't know how much time you should be spending doing that walking, then you're kind of guessing. You're just like, well, I'm supposed to do this, but you don't know how long or how many times a week you should do it. And what most people do is they will not use their watch to the bills of fat. So they'll, they'll be recording all that data. And there's a ton of data from that run session, but they haven't used it during the run. They look at it afterwards and they go, yeah, I averaged a heart rate of 130 and I ran four miles. Like, okay, what did you actually do in that four miles? I, well, your heart rate went to 150 every time it went up the hill. It went down to 115 every time you went downhill and you averaged what you were perfect average, 130 but your heart rate was never 130. It was either 150 or it was 115. And at those two intensities, you actually didn't do anything to benefit your body from a cardiovascular health perspective or from a metabolic perspective. And, and you know, that that's good news too, because if you, if you slow down your training, especially for um, amateur runners, you have much lower risk of joint injury as well, because the, the force on the joints goes up exponentially as one runs. You don't actually need to do that. And, you know, almost anyone can walk up a steep hill. You just might have to start shuffling your feet like this, right? But you can actually stay at your first threshold. Oh, wow. This is all super fascinating. I I want to make sure that you guys have gotten all the information across because I'm just asking my questions that benefit me at this point. So <laughs> is there anything that we haven't touched on about VO2 Master that you feel like people need to know? Uh, I think... I think we touched on on a couple of things. The first one is that most people associate VO2 with max testing, and that is one very small component of what the device can do. The other ones you talked about with the, the, the ventilatory thresholds, which from a training perspective are really valuable, especially in weight loss and weight management. The other one is resting metabolic rate. I'll, in that sort of package of, of weight loss and understanding what the body is doing. And then the last piece of that is all the ventilation data. So how a person breathes through all of the range of intensities, right from rest all the way up to maximum. The other piece that VO2 Master does is it incorporates a number of other devices and pulls data. So this is actually how Peter first got involved with me is he was a computer geek kid and he had the ability to help us analyze the data. And we were pulling data from from heart rate monitors and new straps that actually allowed people to to measure how they were breathing called a bioharness. And we had a laptop uh, VO2 monitor, but we had all this data that we were trying to look at for a single athlete and we had no way of actually seeing the data. So Peter actually created a a software that allowed us to dump all the data into it and come up with some sort of visual of, of the graphs that were created from all those different devices. When we started talking about, well, how could we make this better? Cause this is crazy. We want to do this for a lot of people. It's just too cumbersome is, that's where the, the idea of VO2 Master came from. And so the first thing we did once Peter had a working prototype 
was to start collecting data from this prototype, but also from heart rate monitors. And now there's new equipment called Moxie monitors, which actually measure the amount of oxygen consumed at a local level. So now we have VO2 master, which collects data from how much oxygen is being used by the whole body and a portable device that also pulls data from how an actual muscle works in a single location. So in the legs or in the arms. And so that's called the the typical, the one that's most commonly used is called the Moxie monitor. That was the first device we actually incorporated data to be able to collect data into our app. So now our app allows us to be able to see how a person breathes what their heart's doing, what how muscle oxygenation is happening at the local level, how much wattage is being put out by the bike they're on, or how fast the treadmill's going, and all that data can be pulled in. And there's you can, you can also yeah. add stride running foot pod to do it outside. Oh. You can add core body temperature from core body temperature. And as, essentially from each one of these components, you can see how a different part of the body affects performance. Your body gets hotter, how does it affect your threshold? How does it affect your performance? Um and, and yeah, that's essentially, we, we've simplified the way to gather all that insight into one place to help coaches make objective decisions on their athletes physiology, which is much, much better than the, the previous method. You know, the, the world I came from before meeting Andrew of just swimming till my shoulders blew up, hoping I'd go to the Olympics. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very different world. And yeah, I, I think it's also important to know that, you know, before this technology wasn't accessible to any coach or gym out there was only in labs and national federations, but every small coaching business or gym can benefit from this as an ancillary service as well, where a coach can get VO2 master and actually offer that, uh, the testing as a service to their athletes. I, I love all this. It's absolutely incredible. Um, thank you guys both so much for, for sharing all of this. And thank you for your time today, both of you, Peter and Andrew. Um, before we go, please let our listeners know where they can find you and find out more about VO2 Master. Go to VO2Master.com. That's Victor Oxygen 2, not a zero. VO2Master.com. <laughs> okay, great. Well, listeners, that's all for this week. You can find all the MetPro Method episodes anywhere you get podcasts, or you can go to metpro.co slash podcast. Please be sure to follow the show and rate and review. That lets other people know what they can expect. You can also learn more about MetPro at metpro.co. I'm your host, Crystal O'Keefe, and I will be back next week. Until then, remember, consistency is key.